This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Historically, preceding generations have always expressed concerns about the caliber of succeeding generations. Heightened engagement and activism on the part of the nation's youth suggests that at this particular moment, such concerns may be unfounded. Join Marcus and me for a conversation with Jonathan Waters, who is my son. I'm glad to have here in the studio with us and is a member of Generation Z and hear how he is working to keep himself and his generation engaged in our nation's civic life. Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters, and as always, I'm pleased to be here in the studio, but also very, very happy and pleased to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Har- Harvey. Marcus, how is it going? Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to, co- to today's conversation with your son. You know, I, I have a two-year-old son. I'm not sure his generation has been named yet, but um, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what his attitude is about this conversation uh, 18 years from now. That's right. Well, I was thinking, you know, given what I know about Carter, Carter Harvey already, that Carter might have fit in with this conversation oh. really well because I hear that he has a lot of things to say. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And in fact, I would, I, I, would, I would recommend that his generation be named Generation P for precocious. Okay. <laughs> anyway. You know, it's interesting, Marcus, when you think about generational names. Now, I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember what our generation, I think we were Generation X. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I might be outside of that. Mm-hmm. That may be wishful thinking. But we come up with these names. We've got the baby boomer generation, the generation that followed that. You know, we come up with these names. We've got the millennials and all of these yeah. things. And so it's interesting how we come up with these names to name the generation. Yeah, and I think I think what, what's, what the naming of generations reminds me of in, in an indirect way is the relationships that exist from one generation to the next. And I think sometimes what happens is uh, uh, contemporary generations might not always be aware of the impact that prior generations have had upon them, um, nor are they always aware of sort of ways in which it is important um, to, to remain to, 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 to to apprise oneself, to, to learn, to educate oneself about the struggles of prior generations, about about their contributions, about insights that they may have that can help that can help current generations think about mm-hmm. the future. So I think generational relationship is an important idea to keep in mind. It is, and I know that you're kind of taking that from the traditions that you uh, that you study. Absolutely. And and I was thinking as you were saying that you're sounding very Burkean. <laughs> you know, you've heard me bring up Edmund Burke a number of times, yeah. and he was one of those. I, I, one of his quotes that I love the most is he said, "The world belongs to the living, the dead, mm-hmm. and those yet to come." That this is great historical continuity that we participate in, mm-hmm. and so he wanted he he felt that. Uh, that was something that we needed to be mindful of. And, I, and Mark is talking about how one generation sees the next generation. It's interesting because just recently I had to give a presentation that looked at African-American history and the African-American experience post-Civil War. Mm. And I had the opportunity to have that group that I was talking to listen to a rereading of Sarah Gudger's narrative. And, and Sarah Gudger was a former slave who had mm. been here in, in the Western North Carolina region, and her, her recollections of that experience are a part of the whole slave narrative collection that, was, that, that were taken in the 1930s. And it was interesting to hear what she had to say. She said, 
one generation gets worse and worse. The generation that, you know, as she was peering out into the future, these people are sliding downhill. And I thought about Henry Adams as well. Henry Adams said the best way to to, um, to prove, to disprove evolution, he thought, was to just look at the generational <laughs> things. He said, just look at the the. the the nation's history between a George Washington and at the time a Ulysses S. Grant. He said it hadn't gotten any yeah. better. <laughs> right. And, and I've, I've heard that notion before. I've always wondered, you know, this the sentiment shared by um, by Sarah Gudger and Henry Adams. Is that just generational sort of chauvinism or elitism, <laughs> or is this an actual truth <laughs> behind what they're saying? Right, right. I'm not. I'm not so sure. But I think it is possible to sort of chart the sort of historical trajectory of generational development and note moments of of decline that's right um, i'm not quite sure what to do with that but these are interesting points to well you know we're going to come back here in just a few minutes and have a conversation with my son jonathan <laughs> and and see what he has to say about that yeah. what is his perspective on these particular things i have been as a father proud to see that he is working hard to to keep up some traditions so we'll be back in a moment Well, again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show coming you coming to you from Blue Ridge Public Radio here in Asheville, North Carolina. So glad that you all are staying here in this conversation with us. And I am so glad as a father to have my oldest son. I have two sons, Jonathan Waters, Jonathan Isaiah Waters, and Lewis Edgar Waters. But so pleased to have my oldest son here in the studio with us today, Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome to the to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate right. it. Thank you for coming Appreciate in. It. So, look, the start. You you know, um, just, let's talk a little bit about your background. Yeah. <laughs> you know, tell us a little bit about your family history. You know, as if as if I don't already know that. But, you know, you taught me all about yeah. it. Now, who are your wonderful parents and all of those things? Oh goodness, <laughs> ones right here. Tread lightly, Jonathan. Tread very lightly. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. <laughs> you know, I did my first podcast yesterday, so I'm new to this. All oh, right, all right. <laughs> well, you know, you're here in Asheville, but Asheville is not your birth home. So tell it's us not. a little mm-hmm. bit about where you're from and 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 so forth and so on. Born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm blessed to be from there. Uh, I still love the city, but going back home now is uh, it's a lot different from the experience I used to have when I was a kid. So I'm very fortunate to have come up here and have learned new things, new experiences, um, been around the history that I heard so much about growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been great. It's been wonderful to be close to family, to be to sort of learn and come into my own from just coming to a new city, not quite knowing exactly how to make my own path. And mm-hmm. It's been very beneficial. I've I don't regret a thing. All right. That's good. So you've been able to connect with other generations of your family. Your grandparents are Absolutely. here. You've been able to develop a relationship with them. So it's. I think that that is um, – and, and from what conversations that you and I have been having as of late, I've heard that you've appreciated the fact that you've been able to make those generational connections. I love it, yes. Right. You, there's so much to be learned from the generations before you. Mm-hmm. And – and, you know, just this morning, uh, you showed me over the weekend where Pike Isaiah Rice was mm-hmm. uh, was buried, and mm-hmm. I was just amazed to learn that I live now so close to it, mm-hmm. like two, three minutes down the road. Mm-hmm. And I say, I'm going to start my week out like this every week. I'm going to go 
I am going to I'm gonna wear his jacket. I'm gonna put on his suit, <laughs> and then I'm gonna go and uh, and visit the grave and and just be at peace and meditate and think about you know how fortunate I am to have learned about him, even though I never met him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Jonathan's example is is important. Um, so many African Americans, um, unfortunately, don't necessarily appreciate the importance of historical connection, of finding ways to connect mm-hmm. to their own lineage um, and do things like Jonathan was talking about, visiting graves, wearing uh, jackets that sort of... Um, <clears throat> resurrect a certain a certain historical memory so this is an important um, example I think to keep in mind uh, you're also a student I, I believe an upperclassman at UNC Asheville mm-hmm. Jonathan yes. I've not yet um, had the pleasure of having you in one of my classes I'm still working <laughs> on that uh, but anyway be ready um, be, be, be ready to be tried <laughs> so, so so you 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 are a member of generation Z so-called uh, what's your perspective on on this generation? Um, basic observations, if you have any uh, um, criticisms that you might want to offer. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Generation yeah, Z. I do. Um, and we call ourselves, you mentioned the name earlier, Dad. We call ourselves Millennials, Generation Z. That was, that was new to me. Um, <laughs> but I feel like we want to be very involved in what's happening in the world today. And there's a whole lot of response, but very little action. Um, So we were raised really when we were born, most of us, the internet was a new thing. And then as we grew up, it became our whole lives. Mm -hmm. So we really like to stay there and anything that happens in the world, we comment on it. We say something about it, but then what do we do after Mm that? Um, That's, my main one big basic observation about how we are across the board, and it's something you really have to defeat, um, especially just growing up in it with it being your whole life. Me, me too. I'm not trying to point fingers at anyone at all. I've done the same thing plenty, mm-hmm. where I said, eh, "This is this is terrible. I don't like it," and then I go sit down somewhere. You know, I don't, I don't do anything. We think that's enough mm-hmm. in a way. So it's interesting, Jonathan, what I hear you saying, and this is kind of, Marcus, you and I have talked about this, especially as educators, that we see a level of civic disengagement. Uh, I mean, that this is a conversation that uh, organizations like the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University has been talking about for a while, and they'll be hosting a series of forums across the state to deal with this issue. They've shown that, uh, I think that the, the data has shown that North Carolina is one of the mo- the least civically engaged states in the nation, which is interesting. And I'm hearing you say that, that the internet has somehow played a role in that, that we, it, it's like Marcus said, you know, uh, Jonathan, you both can respond to this. Do we have honest conversations with each, each other anymore? I, and I think that conversations look different when we're in in front of each other, mm-hmm. right, rather than behind a computer screen. Does that does that make they sense? Absolutely, do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I would just huge. say quickly, I, you know, this this speaks to Jonathan's point about the internet and the relationship of Generation Z there too. Uh, part of what's interesting about the internet is that I think I think it does make possible, it does enable. Um, a level of civil, civil of civic engagement that may not have existed, say, a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. But that civic engagement isn't always informed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think very yeah. often it, the the internet, that the presence of it, the convenience of it, 
um, the ready accessibility of it for for many um, generation Zers really encourages what I would call sort of reactionary engagement, right? Um, reactionary engagement that is mm-hmm. not informed by patient, careful study, not informed by uh, prior prior conversation, in-depth conversation about the issues, about pertinent issues um, to which people on the internet are responding, either mm-hmm. critically or uncritically. Right. So I think the internet is very much a double-edged sword <laughs> with respect to Absolutely. the notion of, of, of civic engagement as it relates to Generation Z. Right, and yeah. you're right. So that, uh, and Marcus, thinking about that, that brings up the issue of education mm-hmm. and the process of education. And I mean, you know, I know that we're in this uh, kind of moment where so much of education is moving on Online, but you and I have talked about the fact that the brick-and-mortar institutions are so important. Being in a classroom is important. Being able to interact with your colleagues is so important to how these conversations and how the action that comes out of it is developed, I think. So, Jonathan, you know, this this brings me to another question I wanted to ask you since we have you here in the studio. Mm-hmm. Captive. We've got him captive here. You know, held hostage. That's right. (laughs) Education. You know, what what role does education uh, play? What role do you think education is going to play in helping your generation confront and meet some of the challenges that you may be seeing ahead? Especially, you know, with this this issue of civic disengagement and the the role that the internet has played in this. Yeah, I think that while we do have that, you know, civic disengagement that staying behind the screen a little bit that at the same time there's a very strong desire to want to blaze our own paths and that's what everyone has seems to have a very underlying desire to do that's very american of you that um <laughs> i think that uh that education plays a great role and i can speak from experience of this coming to college um it's helped me discover how I want to educate myself. So you go through elementary, middle, high school being taught very certain things. Mm-hmm. That's just how the school system works. But then you get to college, there's a little bit more freedom. Um, there's a little bit more space to explore what you want to learn. And then in that, you say, well, maybe I should take this out of the classroom and I should read some books about what I'm interested in. I should go and see some things that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And so in that, it gives you your own uh, mental ability to go and seek out what you really want. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think education, you're not going to get that without some kind of an education in the first place. And if it's not there and present, then and what are you going to do? It'd be terrifying to see what happens if it wasn't there in the right. first place. Yeah, this is a really important point you're making, Jonathan. And I think this, this especially this idea of, of self-education, I think oftentimes uh, in this country when education is discussed, <clears throat> people have in mind formal education that takes place somewhere else, right? At a college or a university, junior college, high school, middle school, elementary school. And um, rarely, I think, is education thought of in terms as a, uh, a, a self-based process that extends beyond college, mm-hmm. university, that is lifelong, that requires personal discipline, personal commitment. Um, so I think it's important to sort of take Jonathan's point seriously and think about education at more broadly as a process that is both 
public, collective, and also um, personal. Personal. Uh, but Jonathan, I want to hear a bit more from you about how you approach education. So you took a bit of time off between high school and college. Uh, what what fueled that decision? Um, and and have you found that decision to be beneficial? Yeah, it was far? a decision that I had some yeah. problems with initially. <laughs> not you, Dr. Waters. Not you. How? How? In any way, Dr. Waters. But, Marcus, I think it's a brilliant question, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, the answer to this question. Again, tread lightly, Dr. Tread no very lightly. Um, I was sick of school after high school. Um, high school in general for me was a huge social experiment. I took school and learning and education very not serious at all. I was I, I showed up and I existed and I got a degree at the end of it. Or a, a diploma, not a degree. Um so I just decided if I go to school now, I'm going to waste my time. I'm gonna go to all these parties that everyone wants to go to and it's gonna end up wasting a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, which I'm blessed as to how that idea got to me because mm-hmm. I would have it would have been bad <laughs> at this point. And now, um, and now I look back on that and see that that was a really good decision for me to make because I don't think I would have come to the revelation that education really is your own your own journey without doing that. Um, I have a story that I like to tell my friends, and uh, it's a very short one, but I was working at Pizza Hut as a delivery driver for a little while after I got out of high school and was just in that transition phase, and I met a guy who had been working there, still a delivery driver, same pay scale as me. We're making the same tips. Um, I said, well, how long have you been working here for? Are you just doing this as like a side thing? Is this just a side gig? He says, no, man, I've been doing this for 15 years. And I went, oh. How long? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't knock it, but that's that's a while. I want to move up. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought of that and saw myself. What if I'm here in 15 years, um, age 18? I would have been in my 30s still doing this. And I'm thinking, there's no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way I want to be doing that. Um, and now in college, um, like I said, blazing that own my own trail, my own path. It's it was definitely the best, the right decision to make. Right. And there are a lot of conversations, you know, that are happening about around this idea of gap years, you know, Mm -hmm. people taking gaps and and what it sounds like, Jonathan, and based on my observations of, uh, of your, of your experiences during that time that you took off was that it focused you a lot more. It got you more focused. And I think, uh, so it made me rethink these conversations about gap years. And, um, you know, a number of people, Malia Obama, just recently, she That's took true. the gap year. You know, she was uh, uh, accepted into Harvard University, but decided to take the year off. So I think in some ways that this is a good idea. Um, and you and I think, and I have to, as your father, appreciate your approach to me about it, because you came to me with your own argument. And this argument, <laughs> I couldn't argue with him when he said, look, I'm not you, Dad. Dad, mm. I have to do it my own way, and I, I um, and I appreciate the desire to to chart your own to chart your own path to do it your own way. So long as, like Marcus said, you we come to understand the importance of lifelong learning. Now, I, I would like to ask you, Jonathan. What so? What do you think? Do you think that this is a good approach? The approach that you took. Do you think it's a good approach for others that others should consider taking this approach? And and why do you think it's a a good approach to take? I think personally for me, it's 
like I said already, it was it was definitely the right decision. Um, if you find yourself in that area where you just get out of high school, you're sick of it. Um, you enjoyed being there for the social aspect, mm. the learning. You know, it wasn't coming so quick to you. You didn't really like it as much. Then I think it's a good idea mm-hmm. because the idea of college, especially at certain places, can be very enticing, but for the wrong reasons. Mm. Uh, you go there, you have your own freedom, you're living in a dorm, your parents aren't around. You can have drinks that no one knows you're having. I mean, right, all right, these right. things mm-hmm. that can happen, and it's it's it might be dangerous to be in that mindset and have that many temptations around you mm-hmm. at the same time. Because then, even if you do happen to get through your program, what do you have by the end of it? Did you... Did you apply yourself? Mm-hmm. Did you learn or did you just go through the motions? So I really think that if you want to see yourself in a certain number of years mm-hmm. in a good place where you actually learned, where you have a better understanding of the world around you and who you are, then a gap year is a good decision. Yeah. It's a great yeah. decision. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and uh, while I did not take a gap year, I basically went from kindergarten or preschool all the way up to the Ph.D. nonstop. <laughs> And he, <laughs> which, and he which did I, that, and he did that in about five. No, years. no, which I don't necessarily. <laughs> He's had it for twenty years. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have a story, a similar story to Jonathan's that I sometimes share with students, and um, uh, it, it, it I, I was, I was, I was in college, undergrad, um, Morehouse College, and I was, I was an upperclassman, and I was working part time in a call center, of applying to graduate school, and. Uh, nothing against call center workers, but this was hell on earth for me. Yeah. This was absolutely hell on earth. And there were people there, co-workers who had been there 5, 10, 15, 20 years working in a cubicle in a call center. And mm-hmm. so at that point, I, if I wasn't determined before to pursue graduate school, to complete graduate school, I was determined then. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was, just, it was made abundantly clear to me that this is not where I want to be two decades from now. Uh, so anyway, very interesting story. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan, you, you, so you land at UNC Asheville. Um, why UNC Asheville? Obviously, your father, Doctor, the esteemed Doctor, Doctor Darren Waters, is here. <laughs> but I have a hunch that, as a, as a, as your own uh, path blazer, he was not the only reason. He was not the only motivating factor. I'm assuming. So why UNC Asheville? Not the only one. And I, uh, I like UNC Asheville. It's a very good school. It's a great school. Um, but it was less about the university and more about the city as to why I came over the city, the town of Asheville, just because I do know how much history really is here mm-hmm. that I can draw from and that I can grow from. Um, and even though I'm not studying history, I still, I know the importance. I, I heard it every day. So I, uh, I took that and I, I saw it as another opportunity, you know, to, to set myself in a new place that wasn't too foreign. Um, go to school here and then get a well-rounded experience out Mm -hmm. of it so I can enjoy the school that I'm going to as well as the town that I'm living in at the same time. And I did tell a brother that there were a lot of felled trees here. (laughs) And so he he was attracted by that as well. That's an inside joke, (laughs) as you can hear from uh, the laughter coming from from Dr. Harvey. (laughs) But but anyway, let's talk a little bit because, you know, time is moving really fast here. And what I'd like to do is just jump, Jonathan, just for a minute here. You have decided because, you know, you're so 
interested in, you know, civic engagement, moving your generation, um, a podcast. You have started a new podcast. So tell us a little bit about this project. I did. I started a podcast, filmed, uh, I keep saying filmed, recorded my first episode yesterday, along with a good friend of mine, Elijah York. Um, We're both right around the same age, both early 20s, and we have amazing conversations together. So he was the perfect person to have for the first uh, couple episodes. And really what the cool cast is about, that's the name of it, the Mm -hmm. cool cast, um, hosted by myself, Jonathan Waters. Um, What it's really about is growing into manhood in this day and age. And I can speak to males because I am one. I can comment on things that I see. I can offer advice if I have it. And really, I can learn while I'm doing the show as well. It's Mm -hmm. another way to learn. It's a new way. And my hope is that, you know, people will draw from it, uh, get advice, get good information, and they'll also be encouraged to start conversations of their own that they didn't know they needed to have. Um, That they're discovering that there are all these things that they can be looking into, that they can be looking at about themselves just to make them better men and Really, it's all about trying to grow together as one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is—I think this is an important podcast, probably that you've embarked upon, Jonathan, with Elijah, because um, I increasingly it seems to me that at least in this country, um, serious, focused conversations about specifically about manhood um, seem to be rare. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we can have we can identify reasons for that. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah, brother, yeah. And think but, about the uh, issues that African American males are dealing with. Specifically. Well. Yeah. So I think this 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 is you know, this took some courage <laughs> on your part and I, I applaud you for that. Thank um, you. But where can people find um your podcast, Jonathan, it's called The Cool Cast. More information on it. When does it how how frequently are you producing content for it? I will be uh putting out an episode every other week. So it'll be a bi weekly podcast. Uh, you can go on Facebook and type in The Cool Cast by Johnny Waters, and that's where you'll find episodes. I'll put up links to them on there. Um, the The image just says The Cool Cast with Johnny Waters, so it's very easy to find. And yeah, everything will go there. I post articles as well. Our first episode was on confidence and how not to be cocky, how not to lose your confidence, what's the right amount. And so I'll be posting articles to go on with each episode um, so you'll find those there uh, if you go up and look right now well Jonathan I'm certainly proud as your father of the of, of, uh, of your growth the things that you're doing in this project uh, as we come down on the last few minutes here you know um, we just want to congratulate you on, on starting this and, and pursuing your education and Marcus and I are so glad that you came into the studio to join us so Marcus and I are going to step out for just a second we'll be back in a moment Well, Marcus, I got to tell you, I enjoyed that conversation so with Jonathan. I, so um, he, he, as he referred to himself as Johnny, which I have issues with that. I told him <laughs> I named you Jonathan. Right? <laughs> but great conversation with him. I, I am proud to see his uh, trajectory and his growth. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the conversation that you and I have had before with uh, who was Jacob Dowler and uh, oh, it was yeah. Wyatt, uh, Wyatt, Wyatt Gilday, who are two mm-hmm. students out at Christ School and the work that they've been doing there to kind of engage their generation. Also, 
Donovan Spencer, who is working with Word on the Street. And so I, I think, you know, there's some hope for us about what this generation, Generation Z, is actually going to do. Oh, to say the least. And I think it was it was also very refreshing to hear how Jonathan uh, was able to be very reflexive, very self-reflexive about education itself, mm-hmm. about what education is, about how it's not only a collective public thing, but also a personal journey. And that, I think, is, is gives me hope for Generation Z, and That's also right. for my own son, Carl. Right. You know? He didn't get a chance to tell you, but he was heavily, I think that he was heavily influenced by John Hope Franklin as well. Uh, uh, he, no, he, no, no surprises there. That's right. He and his brother grew up around Dr. Franklin, and mm-hmm. so um, I think that when I heard him talk about that, the personal journey, that was something that Dr. Dr. Franklin really, really emphasized with me as well. So, Marcus, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for allowing Jonathan to come in here and, and have this conversation with us. Um, I really appreciate that. And again, Marcus and I want to remind you that the Waters and Harvest Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR, BPR mobile app, and on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll see you next time. Take care.